Well, last week we looked at the glory of God, and we talked about why God's glory was so important, and God doesn't have a weak ego, and we talked about how we want the glory of God manifested in our life, and this week, a couple of things have just crossed my mind as I've contemplated that. Number one, God just is always really careful in the Scripture to say, don't touch my glory, don't touch my glory. Uh, God is careful also to say that, God, if you can be trusted with the glory of God, then the possibilities are absolutely unlimited to your, for your life. If a church can be trusted with the glory of God, the possibilities are unlimited. So what I want to talk about today and take you through the Bible is just a way to see how to live for the glory of God. It's been my life's dream. It's been my life's quest. It's been imperfect. It's been a struggle from time to time. But I really wanted to live for the glory of God. I wanted to honor him with everything I've said and done with my life. And I know that you share that as well. We talk about that when we talk about in Discovering Woodland, about living for the glory of God. One of the things that is so important to remember is that God's glory is everywhere. Creation reflects glory. We talked about that last week. We were created to be reflectors of his glory as well. But creation can only reflect his glory. God moves inside of us. God lives inside of us when we're born again, as Jesus described it. In other words, we put our faith in Christ. We trust him. He forgives our sins. He comes into our lives. And then the glory of God takes up residence in our life. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Now, before I read this, it's important to remember, I've quoted this to you before, but one of the church fathers somewhere around 170, 200 AD wrote that the glory of God is a man fully alive or a woman fully alive as well. The glory of God is someone that is living fully what God intended for their life. So the apostle Paul wrote these words, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Would you read that with me this morning? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Father, we love you this morning. And so I, I come to you for those here, those online. And I'm asking you, first of all, Lord, would you deliver us from a slowness of understanding? Deliver us, Lord, for we live in a digital age and we're used to Google finding things. We're used to looking up things quickly and we don't think, Lord, as deeply as you created us to think. So I ask you to help us now to think clearly, to think deeply. Lord, deliver us from a lukewarmness of spirit so that we're not just Sunday morning Christians, but whatever we do, we live this out that the Apostle Paul has wrote for us here, that we do everything for the glory of God. Father, I ask you to help us to live focused lives. Help us to live lives focused upon honoring you in everything that we do, for this is what we were created for. And finally, Lord, I pray that you would grant us a fervency of spirit, that we would live life with zest and zeal and joy and peace and the Holy Spirit that you've created each one of us for. For God, there's not a person listening online, there's not a person in this building that you don't love, there's not a person that you didn't die for, and there's not a single one of us that you don't have a plan and a purpose for our lives. 
So I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, help us to grasp what a joy it is to live for the glory of God. For it's in your name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Grab your pens if you're following with the paper outline, or you can follow online with the church app as well. Well, the first thing, and by the way, this is an acronym, and I actually read this acronym. I like to give credit where credit's due. This is an acronym that I read that Rick Warren had wrote one time, so I just borrowed his acronym, tweaked it a little bit, and wrote a message to go with it. And he wrote an acronym called GLORY, and so all of my points will spell out the word GLORY with the first letter, but it's how to live for the glory of God. So the first one is give yourself to God and he will give himself to you. Give yourself to God and he will give himself to you. In his outline, he wrote, give yourself to God completely. Well, I believe that, but I think there's something even greater, not trying to top his message, and that's all I'll say about the acronym, so you can see how I sometimes I will borrow something, and it's okay to do that. John Maxwell says, if you quote from one source, then you need to honor that. If you quote from multiple sources, that's called research. So I'm quoting this one source on glory this morning. But when you give yourself to God, God gives himself to you. It's awfully hard to give yourself to someone anymore, isn't it? Sometimes I have people who come to see me and they said, you know, I gave myself to them in marriage and I thought that I could trust them. And more than once in my ministry, matter of fact, more than a dozen times, oftentimes, even when I worked in mental health, people have come to me and said, I trusted this person. They broke my trust. Maybe it was in a marriage. Maybe it was in a business. Maybe it was in a church, or maybe it was in a relationship with a friend. Sometimes people can't go back to a business or a church or they can't go back to a club or an organization because someone broke their trust and it's awfully hard for them to go back because of the memories. But you can trust God. The Bible says of Jesus, look at this, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Would you read that out loud with me this morning? You need to get that deep into your spirit. Jesus was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, two things I want you to see there. You can trust him. He's full of love, and he's unfailingly faithful to you and to God all the time. But in living a life like that, he manifested to us the glory of God. We saw his glory. It's the reason that Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace and I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. It's important that you understand, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that when God calls you to turn from your sins, when God calls you to put your faith in him and trust what he did for you at Calvary, that God is not trying to make your life more complicated. God is trying to make your life less complicated. God is not trying to put on you something that's too heavy to bear, nor is he trying to put on to you something that is you're not fitted for. But God in 
calling you to himself. He says, you can trust me. I made you. I know you. I love you with all of my heart. I remember one time as a young man said to me, he says, you want to know how much Jesus loves you? And he stretched out his arms. And he says, when he stretched out his hands at Calvary, he was showing you how much he loved you. One of the things that I have learned in life is what C.S. Lewis said is that God cannot bless us unless he has us. God cannot bless you unless he has you unreservedly. God has you completely. God owns you. God, you give yourself to him without reservation. It's what we encourage couples to do in counseling. It's why I warn couples, don't move in together and give part of your life away that you can never get back. Don't surrender something that God has given to you that is precious and priceless. In other words, learn, go through those important rhythms where you learn whether or not you can trust this person because to completely understand what a relationship is all about, we have to give ourselves completely to one another in marriage. We give ourselves to God completely. The Bible calls this worship. Look at this in Mark chapter 12 and verse 29. The most important commandment, Jesus said, is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's on the screen. Would you read that with me this morning out loud? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's all of you. That's all of me for all of him. That's all of him for all of me. That's God saying, when you love me, I will give myself to you. You see, worship in the Bible was all about an offering. In the Old Testament, you brought an offering to God, and God called that worship. And in the New Testament, God calls us, he says in Romans chapter 12, present yourselves as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual, this is your reasonable, this is your logical worship. This is how you worship me. You make your life a living sacrifice to me. We may not think about this in marriage, but we know that we're willing to sacrifice everything for the wife, for the husband that God has blessed us with. We know for the children that God has given us, we're willing to give ourselves completely for them. The Bible tells us in Psalms 25 and verse 14 that God will even help us understand his word better when we give ourselves to him. God says that he gives friendship. Listen, he gives his friendship. Jesus said these words in the New Testament, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. A friend of God is someone that gives himself completely to God. It's the reason that sometimes before we take our tithes and offerings, we quote from the scriptures, it says, come and bring an offering to the Lord and worship. We not only make an offering of our lives, but we bring our tithes and our offerings to worship him. The second thing is we lovingly serve others. This is what the Bible calls ministry. Giving yourself to God, that's worship. But ministry is when we lovingly serve other people. Life, I have learned this is a lesson in love. Say that with me. Life is a lesson in love. Say that one more time. Life is a lesson in love. Because if you love, you're going to get hurt. 
If you love, your trust is going to get broken from time to time. If you love, you're going to be disappointed from time to time, and you're going to have to learn how to love despite the pain and the hurt that happens in your lives. Learning to love God is worship. I can tell you honestly, I love him more today than I've ever loved him before in my life. It's an imperfect love yet because I still see so much of my life that needs to grow. So oftentimes the Holy Spirit puts his finger on a certain attitude or a certain disposition or a certain habit in my life, and I'm convicted of that. I come and I find a place of prayer and I say, Father, forgive me. I sacrifice that and I say, Lord, forgive me. I want to worship you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I find that true in ministry to other people and serving other people because they're going to be people that you help that are going to hurt you but you still got to love them. They're going to be people that you help that are going to just be grateful and remember for the rest of their lives. Jesus also said the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I can look at you this morning, and I'm just scanning the congregation while I've been preaching. All of you look good this morning. You got up, you washed your face, you shaved, you brushed your teeth, you double-checked yourself in the mirror, I suspect, before you walked out of the house. And some of the honest men in here are shaking their heads. They're going, that's right. When you get my age, you double-check yourself two or three times. You, you want to be sure your zipper zipped up because I don't know what it is. As you get older, you forget to zip up sometime. And my wife or one of the pastors will say, you need to check your zipper before you go on the platform. Don't look at me like that. It's going to happen to you as well, okay? I used to make fun of it happening to older people, but now it happens to me as well. You know, we just kind of double check because we love ourselves and we want to present ourselves in the best way possible. We don't want to embarrass ourselves. So Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe we need to double check how we're loving other people. Maybe we need to triple check where are we serving other people in life. Maybe we need to stop and think. We expect to be served when we go into a restaurant. We expect to be served when we go into a store. We expect to be served at church. But maybe we need to triple check ourselves. How are we serving others? There was a song back years and years ago called Love Hurts. Anybody remember that song? Love Hurts. Oh, wow. A lot of baby boomers here this morning. Love Hurts. And I would listen to that song. My students, I preached a message to them about love hurting sometime. But one day I was reading my Bible and I was looking at all the ways people have been hurt in the Bible. And I have this Thompson Chain Reference Bible. It's the first study Bible I ever bought. I bought it in 1973 when $100 was a lot of money. I saved up to buy that Bible because one of my professors told me it's the best study Bible you'll ever own. And he says, if you'll study all those topics, you'll have something better than a Bible college education. He was right. I researched those topics. It's still worn. I still keep it out on my desk because I love that old Bible. 
but I've studied through. So I was looking all the way people have been hurt in love. But one of the things that I discovered is that God redeems every pain. And the reason people were hurt in the Bible and the reason people are hurt in this life today is not because God is bad. It's because the world is broken and sin has come into our world. And we live in a broken world where bad things happen. God didn't cause your pain, but God will redeem your pain and make something good and beautiful and wonderful come out of it. Can we give my hand of praise this morning. Hallelujah. One night in Atlanta, Georgia, I was having dinner with friends of mine. She had been raped. It had been an awful and traumatic ordeal. And as we sat in that lovely restaurant, I had preached for them. And she was a pastor's wife that had been violently raped and beaten. And we sat and we talked and she told me how that God had somehow or another taken that awful pain and that awful thing that had happened in her life and the ministry that had blossomed out of that. It's not a ministry I would want for anybody in our church. It's not a ministry I would want for anyone that I know. But I saw in her life where God redeemed her pain. And rather than becoming bitter at God, and rather than becoming bitter at men, she came better towards God, and she became better towards people. And she allowed God to redeem her pain. If you're going to love other people the way you love yourself, you can expect to be hurt. That's just a fact of life. But the Bible says when we're willing to love and serve others, that people will glorify God. And remember, we're talking about how to live for the glory of God. So we give ourselves to God and God gives himself to us. We also love others. And the Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. My wife and I have never had that kind of pain that happened to our pastor's wife, friend. We've never had the kind of pain that other people have experienced. But none of us have to go through those sort of painful experiences. But all of us have pains, and God will redeem them if you refuse to waste it. God will use your sin. Listen to me. This is not an excuse to go out and sin. But God will even use the things that you did in your sin if you repent and ask God to show you how. I talked to one of our members this week whose life that he lived before Christ, how he's ministered to so many other people because he's been willing to share from his mistakes and how God redeemed those mistakes, how God changed his life. And he's, he was recounting to me, and he's watching this morning, he's, he's recounting to me the things that God has done, even redeeming his sin. It added a whole new meaning to that old gospel song, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He makes everything beautiful in his time this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The third thing that I learned is that if I want to glorify God is to obey God's word. Obey God's word. I trust his word. I trust the word of the Lord. It's a firm foundation beneath my feet. I was praying earlier this week, and if you read my email this week, I text, I put this in the email. I was just reflecting and journaling on all the cultural changes that had happened 
since I've been pastor of this congregation that has happened in America. It's absolutely been stunning. The shift beneath our feet has been more than cataclysmic. The shift beneath our feet has been a 10 on the Richter scale when it comes to culture. And I'm not going to go through a list of all of those things. You know, you live, you deal with them. There are school boards and parents that are fighting with one another. There are governor's candidates that are repeating the lie that was repeated back in the 70s by the superintendent of the Board of Education for the state of Texas when he made the statement that children don't belong to their parents, they belong to the state of Texas. And that is something that is catching on again. And in a, government's, in a governor's race or a senator's race in Virginia, those same sentiments were quoted again. It's a cataclysmic shift years and years ago we were warned that the battle would be for the minds of our children and now as I pray for us this morning I hope you agreed with me in prayer God deliver us from a slovenly spirit God deliver us from a laziness of mind God deliver us from a lukewarm spirit and God give us fervency and passion in our life again to love you with all of our heart and to trust the Bible and these changing cataclysmic times we live in God's Word is the same yesterday today and forever and God will always honor his word this morning. That's the reason we say obey his word. When I love my wife and I love my children, I expect to be blessed and for the glory of God to be manifested. When I handle my finances in a God-pleasing way and I bring my tithes, I expect my finances to be blessed and for the windows of heaven to be opened up upon me. When I love and preach the word of God faithfully, I expect to see the word of God work like a two-edged sword in our spirits, dividing between the flesh and the spirit. I expect to see the fruit of that. It's called discipleship, and Jesus modeled that for us. Giving ourselves to God is worship. Serving others is how, we, is how we love one another. But when we obey the word of God, that's called discipleship. Look at John 17, 4. I have brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you gave me to do. What does he do? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to do your will, O Lord. Culture says the opposite. Now listen to me, especially, I want you to listen very carefully right now. You've got to decide who you're going to trust. Do you remember what I said? We give ourselves to people that we trust. I used to sing a song called Trusting Jesus is All That Matters. Then your life will never be the same. There is only one way to trust him. Just reach out and believe in his name. Trusting Jesus is all that really matters. So we have to decide, are we gonna trust the Democrats? Are we gonna trust the Republicans? Are we gonna trust the cultural elites? Are we going to trust the people that are merely parroting what other people are saying culturally because it's the popular thing to do? Are we going to trust those who, when something doesn't go their way, they shift a ball game from this city to another city to say that we don't trust what you're doing? Are we going to trust Jesus Christ who loves you more? 
Who knows your name? Who knows the purpose for which he made you for? Who knows every hair that falls out of your head? Who knows how you're feeling right now? Who knows how you're thinking right now? Who really cares what you're thinking right now? Is it the cultural elites? Is it the Democrats, the Republicans? Is it those who are campaigning for all sorts of things today to try and undo our biblical foundation? Or are we going to trust God? Because it is God that is trying to keep you from having a broken heart. It is God that is trying to keep you from having a broken body. It is God that's trying to keep you from having broken dreams. It is God that is trying to keep you from a broken future. It is God that is trying to keep you from going to hell and to take you to heaven where you can dwell with him forevermore. Can we give him another hand of praise today? Who are you going to trust? So again, if you would read with me Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying simply this. When we trust Jesus and we obey his Lord, when we are disciples, what we call passionate followers of Christ around here, when we're passionate followers of Jesus, Something's different about our lives. And God trusts us with his glory, and people see. Years ago, I was in a service with a group of young people. And whether I physically, literally saw this or whether it was just a vision, but I knew I was ministering, and all of a sudden, the glory of God just appeared. It was like a cloud in that place. And I hope this isn't weirding you out. I'm not a mystical person. You need to know that. It surprised me. I kept ministering, but it was like just this beautiful, radiant, glowing cloud was in there. And I watched as these young people were going hard after God and seeking him. To this day... My wife was over on the side praying with other kids, and to this day, they're now in business. They're now in ministry. They're all over the world, and they'll call me, and they'll say, do you remember that night when it was like a cloud came? I can't, I didn't even tell them, but everybody was just aware that God was in that place. I want you to know God is real. Jesus is real. He is here this morning, and trusting Jesus is all that really matters in this life. I want that for your children. I want that for my grandchildren. I want the glory of God. Can you say amen? And then the fourth thing that I would say to you is we reach out to lost people respectfully. We reach out to them respectfully. This is what the Bible calls evangelism. This is our mission here at Woodland, to celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. I love how Peter wrote this, and we dealt with this for a long time in the midweek series on the, the epistles from Peter. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and a respectful way. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, when was the last time somebody asked you about your hope? From time to time, people will walk over and they'll just say, can I talk to you for a minute? People, strangers I don't even know. They'll say, what's different? 
Just this week, somebody from our church called me and they said, Pastor, you'll never believe what happened. Somebody just walked up to me and says, what's different about your life? There's, there's a glow about your life. What's going on? I had the chance to tell them about Jesus. One of the men in our church who, who recently has retired, but he was telling me before he sold his business, he says, people have been coming up to me over the last few years, pastors, I've taken this seriously about being a passionate follower of Jesus. And they asked me, what's different we went out to lunch one day, and we were in a restaurant where they had a bar, and we were sitting, and he looked up, and he saw a man at the bar. I just saw a man. He saw somebody hurting. He said, Pastor, excuse me. And he got up and went over and sat down at the bar, put his arm around that man's shoulder, and began to tell him the hope that he had. And soon that man's shoulders were just heaving, and he was sobbing, and he prayed with him right there at the bar. I want to tell you, you reach out out respectfully. You reach out gently, and God will open doors for you that you've never dreamed he would do before. You don't have to go out and put a placard in somebody's face, and I'm not criticizing that, but every day, every day you come in front of people, look at me, that God loves. Look at me. Now listen, if you're watching online, look me right in the eye. There is not a person that you'll ever meet. There's not a person living in this world that God doesn't love. There's not a person in this world that God doesn't have a plan and a purpose for their life. There's not a person that you'll meet in this world that Jesus did not die for their sins for. There's not a person that you'll meet in this world that God doesn't want to have them in heaven. Everybody that you meet, God loves. And you're the messenger in the Bible, that word is called an angel. Look at the person sitting next to you this morning and say, you're an angel. Don't kiss. Good night above. You can't focus on what I want you to know. Now they're turning red. You're an angel. You're God's messenger. And I'm having a hard time getting back on this. Robert Layton said these words, he who can tell men what God has done for his soul is the likeliest to bring their souls to God. He who can tell men what God has done for their souls is the likeliest to bring their souls to God. What does he mean? He means he brings them to God in prayer. He means he brings them to God by the life he lives or she lives. He means he brings them to God by his example, and eventually that person wants to know what's the hope, what's the difference. I would give you four suggestions to do this. Number one, prayerfully read your Bible daily. Do you remember what I said about that old Thompson Chain reference Bible? Find a topic. Don't go for something negative like, what does God say about alcohol? I can tell you that if you want to know after the service. Don't go for something negative like, what does God say about this? But begin to ask God some of those big questions in life. What does God say about love? What does God say about purpose? What does God say about ministry? What does God say about serving? 
The world has enough critics. The world has enough judges. The world has enough people that want to point their finger. They don't need you or me to judge them or criticize them. Even if we disagree with them, they don't need us to do that. They need us to point them to the reason that Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. For God so loved the world. Say that with me. For God so loved the world. They need us to point them. Find out what God has to say about what really matters in life. The second thing is praise the Lord daily. Lift your hands. You know, listen, you know where your heart is with God this morning by how much you want to worship him, by how much you want to spend time with him. If you just want to read your Bible, but you don't want to worship, if you just want to read your Bible and you don't want to respond to God in praise, you're becoming puffed up with knowledge, but you're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. Worship him daily, desire him daily, sing to him daily, and then point to the clues in your life that tells about God's love for you. In my life, I can point to the disabilities. I can point to God's healing. I can point to the miracles. I can point to my life as a pastor and what I've done as a pastor. I can point to our children. You can point, and I'm just going to look around to some of you. You can point to what God has done in your life as a businessman and with uh, radiators, almost said transmissions. You can point to your life as an engineer. You can point to your life as a musician. You can point to your life as a teacher. There are clues in your life where God is at work, and you can bring analogies and illustrations out of that if you begin to think about them and write them down. And then finally, pay attention to others. Pay attention to others. Every once in a while, I'll come home to Becky after church or after a day at, in the round town, and I'll say, you know, somebody came up to me, and they said, you look sharp today. They paid attention to me. Or somebody has sent me a message and said, I really enjoyed listening to your message. Some, somebody from out of state called me Friday on the road, and they said, hey, I just want you to know how much I enjoyed listening to this particular message and how it helped me. And I got your phone number, and I wanted to call. I came home, I told Becky. We all like to be paid attention to. Think how much would change in your life if instead of worrying about whether or not people paid attention to you, you paid attention to them. Because can I be honest with you this morning? Most of us came in here, and we weren't worried about whether anybody else's zipper was up. We weren't worried about whether anybody else's hair looked right. We were worried about whether our zipper was up or whether our shirt tail was in our pants. Or I guess in these days, your shirt tail is out of your pants. You see, we don't come in normally thinking about the other person. We come in thinking about ourselves. And so when we purposely begin to pay attention to other people, then we begin to see God loves them. God has a plan for them. God has a purpose for them. God wants to do something in their life. Let me give you one illustration, and then I'm going to wrap up quickly, honey, with the last point here. Just recently, someone who for some time has been somewhat of a critic in our community asked to have lunch with me. And we had lunch together, and they literally just said, will you forgive me? So I have tried to get under your skin. 
I have tried to poke you. And I have to be honest with you. They have done a good job at it. All because I represent Christ. And they wanted forgiveness. And the most important words they said to me was, when I see you, I see God. It's not saying I'm God. But when you don't respond with bitterness to the attacks, God can trust you with his glory. It doesn't mean that you agree with the person because you don't attack them or judge them. You can disagree respectfully, but you don't attack people, and God can trust you with his glory. It wasn't my sermon. It wasn't my service. But it was the simple fact that God could trust with his glory. And the final thing, and this was Dr. Addison's favorite word. He often signed his letters using this word. Yoke up with other believers. When I saw Rick Warren's analogy here and he used why for yoke, I immediately thought about Dr. Addison because Dr. Addison would often sign the letter by saying, we are yoke fellows. We are yoke fellows. That was borrowing an old King James version that meant we're in this thing together. Yoke up with other believers. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. Let me read that again. I want to emphasize some different words this time. Some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship. We must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. COVID has done a lot more than affect businesses, affect our culture. But it's God's will for the church to grow. It's God's will for lost people to come to know him. I walked and looked in on our children this morning. And my heart grieved for the number of children that I know that are not here. Because it's easier and more comfortable maybe to sit at home. Friends, we've got to reach out to our neighbors again. We've got to reach out to those that have never heard the gospel or maybe have been heard and are out of church. We've got to decide it's convenient and it's comfortable and I'm not being critical, but our children need to be in church. Our children need to be with other children. Our teenagers need to get back in the habit of being in youth ministry. I listen to the pastors as they talk to me, our small group leaders. 
You need to be more confident. But we have to be in the habit. And if you can't be here, then join us online. One of our online campus members lives in another state. And I've done this with everyone who's contacted me. I said, listen, I'm glad you're watching this online. Thank you for supporting us with your finances. But you need a local church. I don't want Woodland Online to be your only connection with the body of Christ. You need a local church. You need a pastor in your community. So this brother called me this week and said, we finally found a church. Pastor, we have to drive 45 minutes to find a church that's even remotely like what we're seeing at Woodland. But we're willing to drive that 45 minutes. And then he said these words that are sweet. He says, but I have an appointment on my calendar every week to listen online to Woodland when the replay comes on. You need to do that. But you need a local church to be a part of. Your children need to be in that church. Why? Because we need the encouragement. When you're here, it's encouraging to one another. When you're here, your presence encourages other people and you're encouraged by the presence of others. And why should we keep on doing this? Because it's the Lord's day. Listen to me, it's the Lord's day. People always come to me and tell me how rushed, how hectic, how demanding their lives is. And I go, oh, vague. God has given you the answer to that. One day out of seven where you can stop and you can rest and you can worship 52 times a year where you can take a whole day and stop and rest and worship and be with your family and be with your friends. It's more important than shopping. It's more important than cutting your grass. I see more people on their knees in their yards on a Sunday morning than I sometimes see on a church service. And the Lord's day, the Lord's day, Paul said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day when he saw the Lord. You can expect to see the glory of God in Matthew 18, 20, Jesus made this promise, and if you'll stand. For where two or three gather together is my followers. I am there among them. You say that with me? For where two or three gather together is my followers. I am there among them. Now look at that angel. Don't kiss them this time, husbands and wives. And say, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And when you gather your family for family worship tonight, look at your children and say, Jesus is here. I promise you, it will be so exciting. When you tuck them into bed, pray over them and say, Jesus is here. I want your children to know he will never leave them. He will never forsake them. He's always right by their side. And all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen, and amen. Right now, would you just bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, 
we give ourselves to you. We trust you and we know you give yourself to us. Help us to love and serve others gently, respectfully, compassionately. Father, we commit ourselves again to obeying the word of God, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors, ourselves. We want to live as passionate followers of Christ. Lord, help us to reach out, knowing that you're with us, without judgment, without condemnation, without criticism. Yes, discernment, but not, Lord, in judgment and help us to be able to give a reason for that hope Father I ask you that we would recommit ourselves to yoking up being yoke fellows with other believers now if you're not a follower of Jesus why don't you pray this prayer with me right now just say Heavenly Father Thank you for your amazing love for me. I understand from your word that you love me. I understand from your word that Christ died for me. I understand from your word you have a purpose for me. I understand from your word you have, Lord, the ability to redeem my pain and understand that you prepared a home for me. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for people that prayed that prayer this morning? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May you experience the manifested glory of God in your life. And may others come up to you this week and say, tell me for the reason you hope that you have. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>